0: Pray first. This is a moment in eternity which will be registered in heaven. today, which may never be forgotten by many, many people throughout the whole earth. It will become a significant day. And Father, to us as believers in Jesus Christ, today is a significant day because we just wanted to meet together, Lord Jesus, to show your praises and to say how wonderful you are, declare your power and majesty, so it is a significant day for us. So Father, thank you so much for this day the heavens declare the glory of god and so father as we look out lord you've made it clear what it's about it's about the glory of god thank you that one of the writers of the new testament said the glory of god is actually seen and declared in the face of jesus christ so we thank you for that parallel thought lord that um, The glory of God is all around us, so evident in our world. So we come to look at your word this morning, and Father, we just thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you that he's present here. He's the one that can't be seen, but moves actually in our lives, making us sometimes feel uncomfortable, sometimes as if it's almost dead, and we're not actually getting anything, and sometimes we're amazed about what's happening. So we thank you for your Holy Spirit, Lord. We thank you for the law of the Spirit is at work here amongst us today, as it's already in read. So thank you for your presence, Holy Spirit of God. We love you. We love your presence in Jesus' name. 1 Thessalonians 4. It's part, it was never, cut, chop, the original versions were never chopped up into chapters, but it helps us find where we are today, doesn't it? 4, 1 Thessalonians 4. And it, it was a letter written to a, a new church, a young church. And I was just thinking on how, I might just picture what's going on here, because it was a letter written by Paul to a people that had heard what Paul had to say, and they'd responded to what he said and then he had to go and he left them all on their own. I thought to myself, I thought Tolu came into my mind and I thought to myself, as as able as Tolu is, and what a lovely young man he is, he would never be left at home on his own because all the while the parents were away, they'd be worrying about him even though he might be capable. And it's a bit like this with Paul, he was writing to church, he had to go and he had to leave them to look after themselves in a spiritual way, in a godly way, um, without any really understanding uh, or little understanding of what they were supposed to do or how they were supposed to meet as Christians or, or even what the church was all about. It was just a group of people who'd responded to what Jesus had done for them and he had to leave them all alone. And I'm just thinking, you know, our children and young people, as capable as some of them are, Even if you left them at home, you'd still be worrying about them. And that's a bit like Paul. And so he's writing this letter because he hasn't had time to go back to them. And um, so we're sort of coming in halfway through his letter. Um, And this passage this morning has a heading over it, A Life Pleasing to God. A Life Pleasing to God. And that was Paul, the missionary Paul's concerned that the people he left behind were actually going to develop and manage in their society, in their culture, a life which was pleasing to God. So let's read the word, shall we? Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you, urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us, how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you're doing, that you do so more and more. Yeah, get on with it, you know. Where you have started, you need to carry on. Verse 2, For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Your sanctification. That's a big word. And it's a big word that we might not understand fully, but it's that your life may now develop into the life that God wants for you. So you're getting rid of old stuff that doesn't please God, and you're taking on stuff now that does please God. You've now become Christians, there needs to be a start. And he uses the word walk in this passage, walking, you know, making progress, just like the child. So, your sanctification, and it's, the, the basis of it is this, that we might be holy. Now, we had a teacher at school, and we used to call him Holy Joe. He used to teach us RE, and um, he used to walk with his head on one side like this, so you can imagine what us boys used to make of him, He used to walk like this, you know. And um, we used to walk behind him, doing this sort of thing, you know. And uh, but coming from a Christian, you know, predominantly Christian family, you know, you you look at how they how they act and how they react, and the one or two things I used to notice I you know didn't actually com- comply with what I'd been taught. So anyway, we called him Holy Joe. But this is not about becoming Holy Joes this morning. It's actually coming to the point of a life which is pleasing to God. And that can be so amazing because it actually is liberating in the end because everything God said for us who might please him liberates us and gives us a sense of freedom. So let's, let's read on. Your sanctification, halfway through verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So that's quite a pertinent word to any culture today at least in our country and throughout the whole world, isn't it? We'll explain a little bit more about that later on. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honour, not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles or like the people you're living amongst who do not know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. And we'll come to that a little bit later. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you before and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you're doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, as that word urge again, we urge you brothers to do this more and more. And to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly, there's that word walk, walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. We're leaving it there. John's going to talk about the coming of the Lord, I believe, next week. So here we have a passage. Essentially, it's about a life pleasing to God. And um, when, as the gospel spread through those early towns and villages and and nations when Paul as a missionary went from here to there and there to here. It was about Jesus Christ being known as the saviour of the world and to become their own personal saviour and then to actually now start a life which was pleasing to God. That's what the church is about. It's not about religion. Us being here this morning is not about religion. It might feel religious but it's not. It's about a good relationship with God and actually natural things, the way God created them. We should t- touch on creation order a little bit, well, the importance of creation and, and how that affects the church and how we live. But it's about a life pleasing to God. And for our sake this morning, I've, um, I've hung three thoughts. Um, some of you have probably heard of the Christian organisation Crusade for World Revival. And um, it came about as a result of a man called Selwyn Hughes, a Welsh. Um, he was a Welsh miner, but actually he, he, the Lord called him into Christian service. So he left being a miner and uh, God used him in a way to help other people live their lives pleasing to God. You probably, If you've come across the Bible notes every day with Jesus, that was a result of his work. Selwyn Hughes, crusade for world Revival, And in its simplest form, if we live like Paul urged the Christians to live earlier on in those days, and other words of encouragement and messages from other writers of the New Testament, there will be a crusade for world revival. Because the lives which are lived pleasing to God will create an ongoing work to which people will come to and be drawn to. Crusade for world revival, but it was the CWR thoughts that I just wanted to bring into this passage this morning. You are going to read your story, and it's relevant because of the uh, the running for president in the United States going on at the moment, because this story refers back uh, to an earlier presidency, uh, and it goes like this: at one at 5 p.m. on April the 12th, 1945, Vice President Harry Truman. Wearied by his afternoon in the United States Senate, ducked into Sam Rayburn's private office in the Capitol, someone mentioned to him that the White House had called. Harry picked up the phone and dialed the number National 1414. Press Secretary Steve Early came on, voice tense, asking Truman to come to the White House, quickly and quietly. He was to enter the main entrance on Pennsylvania Avenue. Harry excited, sorry, exited the room alone and then began racing through the ornate halls of the Capitol, shoes pounding on the marble. He jumped in his old mercury and sped through the traffic. At 5:25 he pulled under the north portico. Two ushers took his hat and escorted him to the small elevator. Waiting for him upstairs was Eleanor Roosevelt. Harry," she said. "I haven't got an American accent, then. I could have asked Fred to do this, but anyway." Harry," she said. "The president is dead." Truman groped for words. But "Is there anything I can do for you?" he asked at length. "Is there anything you can do we can do for you?" Eleanor replied. "You're the one in trouble now." And that night, Truman took the oath of office as president of the United States. His hand resting on an inexpensive Gideon Bible, grabbed from the desk of the White House's head usher. The following Monday, Truman addressed a joint session of Congress. His speech lasted but 15 minutes. Most of it had been written by presidential speechwriters, but the conclusion he added himself. The Congress was hushed and the nation spellbound by their radios, as he said. At this moment, I have in my heart a prayer. As I have assumed my duties, I humbly pray, Almighty God, in the words of King Solomon, give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this, thy so great a people? I ask only to be a good and faithful servant of my Lord and my people. And there were three things that came out of that story which I want to apply to our letter this morning. First was the call. Truman was called to the office. The second thing was the W. C. W. R. was the worship. In our passage, we read about a way of worshipping God. This is what Paul wanted for his people, lives pleasing to God, which were an act of worship to God. Now, Truman came to the office clearly with his mind that he wasn't the only one stepping up to this responsibility. That's why he prayed his prayer. Lord, help me to be a good servant, a life pleasing to God. Help me to be discern between good and bad, a life pleasing to God. And the last thing was the responsibility. He was called to responsibility. And these things are, are seen work, at work in, in this passage we have read, but they're also seen as we read all this letter to the Thessalonian church, they're at work. The call. The call to the Thessalonians. When Paul, as a missionary, went to Thessalonica, it was a call to the people to give their lives to God. And they did. They were called to give their lives to God. They were also called to live lives of worship to God. And worship is not so much what we do singing songs, but worship is a way of life. Worship is a way of life. And so, Paul, when he went there, he called them. And they became worshippers. But it was also the responsibility, having become believers, having become Christians, it actually brings a sense of new responsibility on our lives as we live them before God and as we live in our society. And we're going to look at some things as as we read on. So I read that story about Truman. The title of our message, uh, created by Steve this morning, is Living Out Loud. Living Out Loud. And it's written in this context... As Christians, when we, when we become Christians, when we give our lives over to Christ, and maybe we join a church, it's not done in the corner. It actually becomes a very public thing. We're called to live out loud. When people come to know Jesus Christ as Saviour, the message is this, believe and be baptised. And there's no greater message of living out loud than being baptised. For Christians wanting to follow Jesus Christ in Syria today, that's living out loud, very, very loud. But that's the Christian message. And this is where the Thessalonian church was, called to Jesus Christ, called to living out their lives loud. To this call... Focus on that. The call is both universal and personal. Now, I'm the preacher today, and you're the congregation. I'm here, you're there, and that's the way it is. But because you're listening to me, preaching from the Word of God, you're receiving a call from God as a congregation. That's my responsibility. You're hearing a call for today, is a day for you to hear the call of God on your life. And I think that you're responsible for that. Because that day, as I prayed earlier on, will be marked in your history with God. It's a day that you heard the good news about Jesus Christ, the call. Today, God is calling universally throughout the whole world when Adam and Eve made their own choice against the will and word of God God called to Adam and asked where are you? could I suggest this morning that actually God's addressing you this morning where are you? in God's plan in your life in your response to God where are you? are you dithering? are you undecided? Are you rebelling and saying that's not for me? Are you saying, well, I wish God would show me? The call is coming from God this morning, and we have to respond to that. So the call. The call came for Truman, and he stepped up to it. Preaching, like I'm doing this morning, and some a lot better than me, but preaching is a way that God uses to call people to himself Paul was writing to the Corinthian church and he said it has pleased God by the foolishness or the appropriateness sometimes of preaching to save those who believe that is just the way God has ordained it but nevertheless it's a call and it's a call that comes from God it's coming universally but it's coming personally God communicates through the call Isaiah was writing of future days when Jesus would come then Isaiah 55 the authorized version has this and, you, and I'll explain it in a minute it begins like and it says ho 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 everyone who thirsts let him come to the waters and drink. Let him come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Now that was a prophetic word that Isaiah the prophet wrote about future days. Now the word is an interesting word because it means it's thrown out universally, but it's also a personal invitation. That is the Hebrew sort of translation of the word. It's thrown out universally whole world, over the whole congregation but the message actually comes to individuals. So the call is universal and it is personal. So you know, you and I speak respectively and just sitting in a congregation. God is you because that's his call on your life. Personal. In John it actually brings those two thoughts together you can probably say it as well as I can for God that's universal that he gave his one and only son and it says that whosoever so that's the individual God loved the whole world he gave his one and only son believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life so the core universally, but most importantly, it comes personally this morning. When Harry was to be president, it was the call of the people on his life. It was a universal demand. But personally, come to the point of being president. God is calling, can I say respectfully? God is calling you to hear this morning through Jesus Christ so the call the second thing is worship what is worship? we can, as Steve has said we can worship anything and we can actually put what we, work, what we do which, take, which actually takes up the major part of our life can actually be worship and it can actually be replacing what we worship, God it doesn't mean to say we give it up Our whole lives, and actually, it's an idol. Things we can work situations. I don't know what's happening here, anyway. I think you've told me that before. Yes, all right, Helen. Thank you. I met a new one. Right. Okay. Better. Right. Plug. Anyway, the call of God on your life, and John 3:16, the call comes to you, and things that can in our lives, things that can take, become a point of an idol, and actually keeping us from the God who wants life eternal in the end, it's robbing you. Whatever you give your life up, it's robbing you for something more. I mean, it's taking it away. And when we come to God, Christ it's the giving to you, giving to us eternal life, giving to us blessings, giving to us good gifts, even the sadness and the suffering. God is a God who gives. He's a God of love, that we read. And we need to come to we can worship. Now, David said he prayed a prayer. David in the Psalms prayed a prayer. Let, let the, the um, meditation of my heart, words of my mouth, and the meditation of my heart be acceptable, O oh God. He saw worship as a thing to God, and that's what it is. Um, because we can talk, we can enjoy God, uh, as the Catechism says. Is to glorify God and enjoy. People see that as uh, something which is. cwr we've talked about the call the call is on your life we come to w worship so in thessalonians 4 as we just read paul was urging them to live lives of worship to god living lives pleasing to him now that involved reacting to the culture they lived in which is a very immoral culture and um it calls them to, to actually express what the gospel is all about, which is loving brothers or loving other people in Christ and actually doing, and Paul had said of those two things, you need to do this more and more. This is the way of growing as a Christian, that you actually react to the culture you live in in a godly and Christian way and you seek, and you seek to know God more, to please him in everything you do. I mean, Do you get up in the morning and uh, say, well, is what I'm doing going to please God now? How many things do we actually ask that question of ourselves when we do them? Is this program I'm watching, does it actually please God? Does it grieve his Holy Spirit as I watch it? Because Paul's making the point here about sexual immorality, and sometimes you say, well, I'm not doing it, but I'm watching it and I'm being entertained by it. So what's the difference? What's the difference? There are many, many times I can start watching a program on television and i come uncomfortable in my spirit because what's happening is contrary to what God really wants. It's like actually when we watch violence. We're watching something and being entertained by it that's actually a point of sadness in someone else's life. Now I know we can take that too far, but the point is, what am I getting excited about? What's grabbing me in my spirit? What is my enjoyment? What is my, what is my mind enjoying? Is it rubbish? Or is it the good things of God? You say, well, you're being a bit extreme. I may be being an extreme, but do we actually ask the questions about everything that we do? Am I pleasing God? We do need to ask those questions. Everything that we do is my life pleasing to God. That's the way we grow. It's the way church grows. That is what worship is. It's not just singing a few songs on a Sunday morning. It's actually my heart attitude to God. Worship truly comes from a life, a life that's been reconciled to God. Worship comes from lives of people who have been reconciled reconciled to God. And as Paul said to the Romans, he said be reconciled to God. That is where we start. And that's what the gospel is all about. Being reconciled to God. And that's where worship begins too. Worship is a way of life. Worship is also how we respond to the situations we're living in as a church. So we're living in a an immoral culture, like most of the world is. And the Thessalonians had to learn how to respond to that. We're living out loud as Christians. Being baptised is a way of living out, but also the way we react to our culture, the way we react to different situations around us, is living out loud, is living out loud saying to God, I'm now a believer in Jesus Christ. The Thessalonians had to respond to Jewish jealousy and mob culture, physical abuse and false accusation. So how do we respond in those sort of situations? Live lives pleasing to God. So how do we live a life which is pleasing to God when other people are jealous of us? Does it hurt? Yes, it does. How do we respond? In Acts, we read that the Jews were jealous of the people who come to know Jesus Christ, and we read too that they, because of that, they were living in a mob culture. How would we live in that situation? How would we live lives pleasing to God in a mob culture? What about physical abuse, whether it's a child, or whether it's in the context of a marriage? or even whether it's in the context of a church, because it can happen there too. Physical abuse, verbal abuse. How do we live? How do we live our lives pleasing to God? One way of living lives is to give it to Jesus. He said, cast all your cares, your troubles upon me, because I care for you. You want to speak it out, give it away to Jesus, because that's what he said, give it to me. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And we need to learn from him too. So acts of worship, living lives pleasing to God. So this other force at work here, the immoral culture, which had a grip on everyday life, and it was going to be really tough call to deal with. If I'm honest with you, The sector genre society the culture we live in is going to be extremely difficult for you to handle and to live in because there's always going to be a pull there's always going to be a reaction within here because god has wired us that way god has wired us that way but we have to respond to it in god's way a life which is pleasing to god that was the culture how had this culture come about this is what one historian said and it's about the norm really we keep prostitutes for pleasure mistresses for the everyday needs of the body and wives for the begetting of children and for the faithful guardianship of our of our homes now how would some of our wives really react to that sort of culture Hmm? sounds a good life to some people But that's what they had to live with, living in the situation around them. How do you react? How do you live? And Paul is saying to them, well, you need to address this. You need to come to this place where you know what is pleasing to God and how you do it. So that's the sort of society they lived in. There is an acceptable standard. And God made families and he made marriage for humanity. For the blessing of humanity. And God's creation order is the most amazing thing, if only we can find that way through. As a Bible-believing church in Hern Bay, we need to continue to live out loud in our immoral culture. To make it known, not saying we we actually are offensive or do anything like that, but the way we live our lives, the things we do, things we watch, things we say filthy jokes and stuff like that we actually make it known or we live out loud that we know or God has shown us a better way because that's how we should live lives which are pleasing to God the last one is responsibility if you look at verse 11 of chapter 4 this is how he sort of sums up the end of his letter make it your ambition to lead a quiet life to mind your own business to work with your own hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody a little bit of information under here um, so we understand is that because they knew that Jesus was coming again. And that's the fact the words used by the biblical writers that Jesus is coming soon. So they thought it was very soon. And so they thought, well, we need to give up work. Um, we no need to go to work, really. We'll, we'll, we'll give it up and we we'll just sort of lay around, we we'll just enjoy ourselves till Jesus comes. And so they would forsake their responsibility. So that's sort of background understanding of what he's saying there. And he said, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. <laughs> Well, what we say, mind your own business. Sometimes Facebook has become a stage for not minding your own business. That's how dangerous it can become. Because you want to pry and to meddle with other people's affairs. As good as these public social sites are, I've read some of them, and I find that they're meddling with other people's affairs, not minding their own business. So we need to beware. Life's pleasing to God. Being responsible. And some of the things, we might not be immediately obvious as we read that, but this is how we live our life pleasing to God, is by exercising responsibility in our lives. Making plans for our future if we're elderly people, and not leaving them for someone else to sort out. Sorting it out. It might be to do with tax fiddling, or not being truthful on our tax returns form, our acts of responsibility. It could be other things, you know, how's your driving? I think Julian mentioned driving last week, you know, thought he said he was the best driver and all the rest of it, but anyway. How's your driving? Are we responsible when we drive? And I do ask myself that question when I'm exceeding the speed limit. Speed limits are there for a reason, aren't they? And uh, I can be going to a place and I say, well, I seem to be fast. If a child ran out now, that's being responsible, isn't it, really? The Christian gospel calls people to responsibility because it's a way of pleasing God. A way of pleasing God. Not being irresponsible in any sort of way. I'm just going to leave you with this story. This about Eric Little because uh, he was, a, he was a, a good runner and um, this verse in the Bible which says them that honour me I will honour now that happened for Eric Little as a runner because he chose not to run on the Sunday now in his day Sunday was considered to be a holy day Well, Sunday is important. It's the first day of the Jewish week. And it's a working day, essentially. Now, Christians took that day because it's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And they say, well, okay, we'll meet together this day. We'll honor Jesus to this day. And we'll meet together and make much of his name. We'll make Sunday special. The only problem is when you apply religious thinking to that, you make a nonsense of it. You make a nonsense of it. And so the question of Eric Little's theology is not in question here. Let's just put it this way. He wanted to do something which pleased God in his life. He wanted to do something which honoured God in his life, and he did it within his culture. So Steve's had some sports uh, people before, so I'm just going to read this story as we close. Leaving his young son in boarding school in Great Britain was the hardest thing for Reverend James Dunlop Little, Scottish missionary to China, had ever done. But Eric thrived like a hare in the Highlands. He studied hard, he loved sports, particularly rugby. He joined a Bible study, attended church regularly, and became a member of the Crusader Christian Union. He also began his lifelong habit of early morning Bible reading and prayer. Eric advanced to the university, joined the track team and won races like a thoroughbred. Every week he brought home more prizes and trophies until he soon ran out of storage space. His legs became a Scottish national treasure. And all the world followed him to the 1924 Olympics. All the while Eric's Christian life continued on the fast track as well. And his newly found fame gave opportunities for preaching and witnessing. At the Paris Olympics, his faith was put to the test when his chosen venue, the 100-metre race, was scheduled for Sunday, and Eric, who didn't believe in competing, on the Sunday opted out. He entered the 400-metre run instead as the world watched and wondered. In his dressing room just before the race, Eric unfolded a small bit of paper that had been given to him by the team master. It read, In the old book, it says, He that honours me... I will honour. And wishing you the best of success always. Eric knew the verse well. It came from Samuel 2.30. He smiled and made up his mind that, win or lose, he would honour God. His time that day was 47.6 seconds. He won. He set a new world record. He and the Lord had honoured each other. And So the basis of Paul's message to the Thessalonian church is, them that honour me. I will honour. That's the call that's on our lives as believers in him. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you. Thank you, Father, you called us, Lord. You're so gracious, Lord, to call us out of our mess and out of our lives to an inheritance which is sure and steadfast, which goes beyond death itself, goes on into eternity thank you father for all your grace and goodness to us and we come to you this morning lord we humbly pray lord may it be in our hearts in our lives that desire to want to please you to love you to serve you to honor you as paul called those early thessalonians 2 so thank you for your grace and mercy to us help us lord we pray in jesus name